Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly from Qualio, and I'm your host here at From Lab to Launch. Thanks for joining the show today. We've published over 50 interviews with innovators in life sciences across the world. It's been so inspiring to hear the stories of perseverance and innovation to improve human health and save lives. If you're enjoying these conversations, please consider subscribing and giving us a review on Apple or Spotify. And if you want to be on from lab to launch, please see the application linked in the show notes. Today, we're excited to chat with Jeff Galvin, CEO of American Gene Technologies. We're so glad to have Jeff back on the show. We first chatted with him last March to learn about American Gene Technologies and what they were working on. I'm excited to hear about all the updates and accomplishments since Jeff was last on with us. A little bit about Jeff. He is the CEO and founder of American Gene Technologies. He earned his bachelor's degree in economics from Harvard and has more than 30 years of business and entrepreneurial experience, including founder or executive positions at a variety of Silicon Valley startups. Several of his companies were taken public and or sold to public companies, including one in the medical technology arena that was sold to Varian, the leading maker of linear accelerators used in cancer therapy. Following his startup experience, he retired to become an angel investor in real estate and high tech. He came out of retirement to found and fund AGT after meeting Roscoe Brady at the National Institutes of Health and the incredible projects he was working on in gene and cell therapy. Jeff has a contagious energy for gene technology and the future of curing for the incurable like HIV, cancer, and PKU. We're a lot closer to cures than you may think. So let's hear from Jeff. Hi, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on again. I enjoyed the last time and I can't wait for this. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about how you guys have progressed since we last spoke. But for our new listeners, let's talk a little bit about Gene Technologies and your background and kind of what brought you here so far. Sure. So I'm kind of an unusual case for biotech uh, because I come from the computer industry and I had a good success in Silicon Valley and retired. And uh, so I was age 42 when I retired and I got a house on the beach in Maui and I still had my home in Silicon Valley. So it was a, a pretty nice situation, which believe it or not, gets boring after a very short period of time. And so I wanted to dabble in something again. And I met Roscoe Brady, as you mentioned, and he showed me viral vectors. And to me, the viral vector is the diskette for the organic computer, the human cell. And that you are nothing but three trillion collaborating computers all on a network, all running software, which is, you know, coded not in zeros and ones like a, your desktop computer, but in ACTG. And now we can go in there and that operating system, your DNA, can be modified. It could be fixed if it's got a defect and it can be improved uh, if we can think of ways to improve it. And that is the scope of what, what is gene and cell therapy. So, you know, when he showed me uh, viral vectors, I just was like, somebody has to be the Microsoft of this. It's going to, this is going to be a software revolution that's going to make the last software re revolution look quite small because <laughs> there's 8 billion of these computers around, you know, or times 3 trillion. I mean, there's a lot of demand and, and healthcare is really important, right? You'd rather be healthy than to have the latest iPhone, for instance. So I think this is a really, really important thing and it behaves more like software than it behaves like standard biotech. 
And so I uh, naively or bravely, however you want to put it, decided <laughs> to jump in. I risked my retirement and started this company uh, to try to maximize the potential impact that we could have in human health by using gene and cell therapy. Interesting too. I've never heard it explained that way as a parallel to software, but I love that analogy that I think that really, that, that really sort of um, illustrates it nicely. Well, I think that the, the concept and 15 years ago, when that's the way I was thinking about it, every just, just kept telling me to, to shut up about the software paradigm. Nowadays, everybody kind of likes it. And in fact, there's a word that seems to be coming up a lot that I think means somewhat the same thing. Now they're calling it synthetic biology. Right. Yeah, and I could yeah. have that wrong, but, you know, the concept that you are, uh, you know, sort of could eventually be reduced to a billiard ball universe that, you know, everything that happens in you erupts from your DNA and and this very complex system. So it's not like it's going to be predictable in, in the near future. But but, you know, that what is going on chemically in your body has a, a level of predictability uh, and, uh, and clear relationships that you can go all the way down into the DNA to find, right? And, and, and at that point, if you have the ability to make modifications there, you can have huge impact and you can do these things in a very targeted way, in a very specific way. Uh, and this is something about this drug development modality that was never true about old drug development modality. You know, the difference between uh, you know, this and say a, a drugs that were coming out 30 years ago is the difference between, you know, putting a diskette into your computer with a specific patch to the operating system or pouring the right liquid on top of that computer and hoping that it works better. Right. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So it's a, it's a whole new age, but, but I think that the metaphor is helpful for people to think that way, because I think it will make the future of this industry more predictable in people's minds. It's going to follow the same technology curve that we saw in many other technologies, especially the software and computer industry. You're going to get the same thing like Moore's law, you know, but it might even be faster than Moore's law. Uh, you're going to see that the same phenomena that we witnessed around Silicon Valley, where you're just waiting for an innovation to come out down the street that's going to allow you to do something that you've been dreaming about forever. Right. And, and those dreams can always come true. You just don't know when, because right. in an environment where the capabilities of the technology are doubling every year and the cost is having, if you can dream it, you can do it. You just can't predict when all the pieces will become available. So if you were back in the 70s going, you know, one day computers will drive cars, they'd call you crazy. But you'd <laughs> yeah. be right. If you can dream it, you can do it because of that technology trend. We're going to see the same thing in medicine. We're going to see the same thing in pharmaceuticals. Well, and I love that concept too, because uh, biology in and of itself, right? There's, there's so much variation. There's so much variability, you know, from me to you to, you know, five other people on the street. And so what works for me might not work for you. And, and we've never had the ability to really drill down to the 1 trillion computers working together level, right? To understand the variability there. So the idea of targeted therapeutics, but also reduction in side effects, you know? I mean, I, just sitting here thinking about cancer treatment, oh. like, wow. Oh, you're absolutely right you about know, that. The, yeah. Instead of the what? nuclear option of chemotherapy where, you know, yeah, we're going to kill cancer, but we're also going to make all your hair fall out and fry all your internal organs, but you'll, you'll live, you know, two years longer. Yay. Well, let me make like, a bold prediction for you. Let me make a bold prediction. 
We're not far away from this day where gene and cell therapy will send radiation and chemotherapy the way of bloodletting and leeches. You know, you look pretty young to me, but I'm guessing you're going to be telling your grandchildren, can you believe we used to beam radiation through your body to cure cancer? Cancer causing radiation we were using yeah. to cure cancer. And they'll be like, but grandma, that's insane. And you'll be like, yeah, it was, but it was all we had. And guess yeah. what we used to do if that didn't work? Then we poison you with these, what they're called chemotherapeutics, but they're basically poison. Yeah. And what we'd hope is we could poison you to just the right level where you recovered, but the cancer didn't. And they'd be like, grandma, that's nuts. <laughs> and you'd be like, exactly. You guys are so lucky to be living in, you know, the days of cell phones, uh, gene and cell therapy cures for cancer and, and transporter beams that allow you to visit Mars anytime <laughs> you want. I mean, who wow. knows what will be there, right? Right, right. That's what's, I guarantee you that's coming, right? Because that's the point is like, what causes all the side effects in your body? Well, most of it comes from unintended consequences on tissue that doesn't need the treatment. Imagine right. a chemotherapeutic that only turned on in the cells that needed to be killed. Well, then you could ratchet up the therapeutic index to the max, right? Yeah. And you could uh, essentially put a death signal into any cell that matched a criteria. Well, gene cell therapy can do that because your specific promoters can look at the cell and they can find enzymes or protein that indicate the disease state and only turn on the gene cargo in those cases. So we have the ability to target by picking the right virus, it'll go to the right part of your body. And then we can target it further by putting chimeric antigen, uh, uh, chimerized envelopes on these viruses that would further target it down. Then we can put specific promoters in there that even if it gets into the cell, it will only turn it on if it verifies that it's the right kind of cell. Well, when you can do that and you can isolate all the healthy cells or most of the healthy, healthy cells from treatment, gee, it may not be one in 50,000 molecules that makes it through the clinic. It may be one in five. Mm. Think about the cost reduction. Wow. Right? That, would be, that would be something. Yeah. Now think about a platform that does the heavy lifting for you. So in other words, there's all these things that you can just buy off the shelf, right? That will do, oh, this thing will do the targeting for you. This thing will do the on-off switch, you know, based on this thing. And you just piece them together like you're making a transistor radio out of components in back in the analog days. Or, you know, even better, they're just subroutines, uh, you know, that you will call on in the operating system. And so what you, you know, what eventually we can bring you, and I hope that this is what AGT will bring, is an iPhone for disease apps where, you know, the targeting, the therapeutic expression levels, the safety, the, you know, a whole bunch of variety of tools is in the platform. And then what you do is you need to understand the disease and what needs to happen at the molecular level to cure the disease. And if you want to know what that is, by the way, you can just look it up on the NIH website. So if mm -hmm. your kid has this particular uh, autosomal disorder, you can go to the NIH website. They'll tell you exactly what gene in what part of the body is not right. Well, from that information, you can actually take a platform like we're envisioning and you can fashion a drug in your garage. Wow. I mean, so we're a ways away from that now. So I don't want to make it sound like we're there, but that, you know, that's the, where this will eventually get to you mark my words in a hundred years, long after I'm dead and this interview comes up, they'll be like, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> he predicted this. How, he predicted how weird. This. How yeah. Cool. <laughs> Definitely. Wow. Yeah. My brain is totally spinning on this now too. And I'm thinking like how very Star Trek, right? Like 
yeah just punch it into the computer and scan and oh. take think about how much stuff from star go. trek came true already yeah right? yeah you know that it's good science fiction is good science it is right? it is indeed i'm still waiting it, for that teleporter though that would be i cool. know i know me too <laughs> I am sick and tired of airports. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I, I hear that. I hear that. Well, hey, so last time you were on the show, um, you guys had an HIV viral vector in clinical trial. Mm-hmm. So how's that looking? How's it going? Well, okay, so I can't tell you too much about this because there's a lot of people that are hanging on these works. And I've got to, you know, um, first say that even though I'm optimistic about this, you never know until the, all the clinical trials are over, whether you have a right. cure. So this is yep. a cure attempt. And anybody that's listening to you, I don't want them to think, oh, we got the cure. Right, right, right. So, but what we have done is we've treated seven patients with an autologous cell therapy where we pull out their HIV T cells. Remember I was saying we can correct problems or we can improve that operating system. We can improve the DNA. Well, it turns out you can improve HIV-specific CD4 positive T cells. These are the helper T cells, which are the conductors of the immune orchestra. You can improve them so that they don't get infected and depleted by HIV, because that's the only reason HIV can get into your body. They kill off the conductors of the immune orchestra, and the rest of the orchestra disbands. But if you can protect those CD4 cell, helper T cells, you can mount an effective immune response against HIV. So, and HIV is not hard to deal with. It's a lentivirus, it's a slow moving virus. So if, if it doesn't have that one advantage of being able to take out the immune cells that, are, that your body is counting on to protect you, uh, you can clear it as easy as you can clear a cold. There's the theory. Okay, wow. so we've, we've done this for seven patients now. And what we've seen is that it's safe. So we pull out these cells, we put it through an automated cell process that turns their original, original leukopak into a billion of these HIV-specific CD4-positive T cells that are these sort of super HIV fighters that should be able to maintain the CD8 and the, and the B cells if you put them back in the body. Now, a billion cells is about 10 times the number of these CD4 cells that you tend to have in your body after you clear a viral pathogen. So we're putting in an overwhelming force. And so the question first is, is it safe? Well, seven patients, and you know, this is safe to say on the air, but we had zero serious adverse events. Nice. So I think we got a good sense that this is safe to do this process on the patients. So the next thing was the secondary endpoints of efficacy. And we wanted to see, do these cells get in there and in graft? That just means, did they find a home? do they persist? So, because the body could react against them and wipe them out very, very quickly. Right. Or they could, of course, the thing you really worry about is they react against the body. Okay, yeah, so we yeah. can see either of those things. So the secondary endpoint of persistence was, yes, they stay there. Good. The third thing that we saw was that they stay there for quite a while in pretty good quantities. And since you're still not seeing any problems, uh, you know, that's a good indicator. And then we pull them out and make sure they're still healthy. So we can look at those cells and sure enough, they're not getting infected and they're keeping their function. So when you put them, when you expose them to HIV, they attack. So this is very, very good news from the phase one, but we just started an antiretroviral treatment interruption study. So now we're going to take those seven patients, pull away their antiretrovirals, 
and see whether they can suppress their virus without those chemotherapeutics. Because if they can, that's called a functional cure. Now we don't expect to see a functional cure in this study, although it's possible. And if we did, that would just be a grand slam. Yeah. What we do expect to see is a difference. And this will help us to determine how quickly do you wanna pull people off their antiretrovirals after you give them the infusion of these supercells, right? It will also tell us what doses work. It'll give us some sense of, okay, how to do another one and to get a high percentage of these people functionally cured. So, you know, that's where we're at right now. And we haven't seen anything which is discouraging vis-a-vis the original theory. And we've seen a lot of things that are quite encouraging. And uh, we're expecting to have a data package together by the end of the year uh, to close out the phase one and to give some uh, public predictions about the uh, future of this project, like what it may achieve and when it may achieve it. So yeah, it's all very exciting news. I think the last time we talked, we were going into the initial study and it's been a ton of work um, and uh, it's been going really well. That's great. That's, that's very exciting news. Wow. So um, I guess what would having a cure or in your case to use the words functional cure for HIV mean for patients diagnosed with the virus? So functional in medical means equivalent to. Mm -hmm. So what it would mean is that we would have a one and done cell therapy where, where the people that got that cell therapy would never have to take antiretrovirals again. They could never get AIDS, right? So they'd be protected from AIDS. They couldn't transmit the disease because their virus would be so low. Eventually their virus would be eliminated completely from their body. We don't know how long that would take, but they could also never be reinfected. So for 38 million people on earth, it would mean that there'd be some hope for them to live a completely normal life after that, that they would get a one and done treatment and never think about HIV again, which would really be the opposite of how they're living right now because they have to take drugs. Also, I think the big, the hardest part for them is the fact that they have a secret that they feel uncomfortable sharing, right? right? It's a stigmatized subject, you know, HIV being diagnosed with HIV. There's a lot of stigma around that. A lot of people don't feel comfortable coming clean with their family, with their friends, with their, you know, whatever. And uh, some people are even just scared to be normally social, even though the reality is, is if they're well controlled on antiretrovirals, they're the same as you and me. Right. And, you know, they're not going to ever infect anybody so long as they are virally suppressed below a certain level. Um, there's lots of studies that show they can no longer transmit the disease. So they really can live a normal life, but it's hard. It's the psychological aspect of it. So that's my hope is that we, uh, you know, can not only provide that, but what we can see from the current study is if the theory works, if this study shows a functional cure, either in this, you know, first phase one or in a repeat of the phase one with a adjustment to the protocol or dosing and things like that, it will be cheaper to cure HIV than to treat it. So in other words, even the insurance companies will be like, wait a minute, you're saving us money, not costing us money. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and society would be saying, hey, you know, these people now can go back to full productivity, even psychologically, mm-hmm. right? And there's no chance of them transmitting the disease. They're some, somewhat vaccinated at the same time as that they're cured of their HIV condition. 
So, you know, it's cheaper because you're not creating new infections that then become a burden on uh, society. So, yeah, it's a very exciting potential future. And could that be preventive? I mean, you you used the word vaccinated in there, right? Like, could that be prevented in a a preventive treatment in a high-risk population, you know? Well, I'd say right now it wouldn't make sense because the cost is high enough that you, you wouldn't use it like a vaccine, you know, a vaccine okay. should be, you know, $10 to make, and then it starts to make right. sense to give it to people who don't have the disease. But really, what's the difference? You might as well get HIV and then get it, right? Because it's equivalent, right? It's functionally the same. Okay, there's maybe some HIV hidden in your body, but it doesn't make a difference. Right. And so um, now long term, though, remember what I told you earlier is that the technology gets twice as good every year at half the cost. So of course this will eventually be a $10 shot. Right. Okay. It's going to take a long time, but the good news is in the meantime, the cost will come down enough that it'll get to secondary markets and even third world nations eventually within the foreseeable future. So in the same way that, you know, Africans in, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa or wherever are carrying cell phones now, They'll also have shots in their arms that cure their HIV. And it will be practical uh, given the economics of that area. And that's a really exciting future. It's, It's saying that, you know, this isn't something that will always be so expensive that it will be a first world product. Right. Like computers, like software, it will uh, eventually spread out to everyone. Definitely. Wow. So what do you believe the future holds then for AGT? Well, the plan at AGT is we're in the process of doing this right now. We're going to, HIV looks like it's fairly baked. It really needs to start heading towards commercialization. So we need to, if this experiment is successful, uh, then what we need to do is um, put a, a focus on that that would justify having a whole company around it. And so we're thinking that we'll spin that out. The rest of AGT is going to continue on that vision of a platform of an iPhone for curing diseases or an MS-DOS for your body, right? Where application developers who understand diseases can collaborate with us and we can start to knock off 7,000 monogenic diseases. And this platform for HIV, you know, HIV will be one drug off of it, but there's a lot in common between HIV and HTLV, which 20 million people have, and it can be deadly uh, because it can turn into a T-cell lymphoma, HPV, which can turn into head and neck cancer, uh, herpes, Epstein-Barr, CMV, uh, hepatitis B. The idea of chronic viral control, which you know we could prove that that part of that platform could control HIV it would make sense to take portions of that components and repurpose them in these other chronic viral infections. So you can see how that could be on a whole chronic viral infection platform. Then we have a monogenic disease platform. It's uh, the lead program there is phenylketonuria, mm-hmm. uh, but this is where you wanna correct one gene that's missing and it's called a monogenic loss of function disorder. So you're born without one gene without having that enzyme or gene product it creates a disease, but if we can replace it, right, which is right in the wheelhouse of viral vectors, that diskette, yeah. right? Yep. 
if we can get it in the right cells at therapeutic levels, uh, we can essentially cure you by removing the issue completely, right? right? And so, uh, you know, we'll, we're PKU will be our first example in there, but there's a lot of components that we're developing in that area that will make it simple for other people to do that as well. And then we have an immuno-oncology program as well, where we're doing things like stimulating gamma delta T cells. So the theory behind that is instead of making a drug, which is just so powerful that it kills your cancer cells, what we do is we modify your cancer cells. So they're so attractive and so stimulatory to your natural immune system that it just rises up and wipes out the cancer, right? And therefore you don't really need a drug. What it would be is that your immune system, which is keeping you cancer-free today, okay, over time, maybe your immune system declines a little from age and stress, and maybe the, the number of malignancies that you get on a daily basis increases, you know, with, with age and with stress. And one day you get a tumor, but it doesn't mean that your immune system wouldn't be capable of clearing that tumor with just a little help. So what we want to do is make a drug that paints that target in a way where the immune system sees it, sort of like a K-Trudon steroids now, right? Mm -hmm. And it wipes it out. And, and that's why I believe it's possible to send chemotherapy and radiation the way of bloodletting and leeches is because I think the immune system is going to turn out to be quite powerful and of course, quite targeted for use in these ways. We're not there yet, but we have three immuno-oncology assets that are showing some promise in that area. So that's the future of AGT is that I want to make like a, you know, an operating systems group. Yeah. <laughs> and then I want to spin off the applications as they come out. And then I want to use that operating system to enable other developers because there are 10,000 diseases that I believe will eventually fall to gene and cell therapy. And one company isn't going to do it all. Right. Well, switching gears back to you, uh, what's been the most interesting or impactful story in your career thus far? Um, I don't know, you know, I'm one of these guys who just been um, chasing things that I was passionate about, right? So I get excited about something and I'm not really thinking clearly. I just start following it. And that's how I got into computers. In the seventh grade, I saw a computer and I programmed a computer for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is, I could see a future where computers were going to really enhance everyone's life. Mm -hmm. And that became really a 30-year love affair that ended with me retiring in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and then I fell in love with my wife and got married. And then, but, you know, uh, marriage is something that you can still have a hobby on the side in business. And I was starting to feel a little bored because I, I did want to start solving some problems again or getting some stimulation for the mind. And then it was just accidental. Uh, that I met Roscoe Brady, he showed me viral vectors, and I fell in love with this idea. And here we are 15 years later. Um, and, you know, in the vision that I had 15 years ago, seems to be, you know, rolling out exactly as I expected, just a little bit more slowly than I expected. But then one of the things I always like to say is that uh, entrepreneurialism is a congenital defect that comes with over-optimism. <laughs> they're on the same chromosome <laughs> apparently apparently because and, and i think it's true like nobody would be an entrepreneur if uh, they weren't an over optimist as well <laughs> true 
my experience in the startup space, I would say you are absolutely right on <laughs> with that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's risky business. You got to be in love with it, passionate, and you got to somehow believe it's like a leap of faith almost sometimes. Yeah. Well, is there anything you'd go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your career? If you could? Well, you know, I think maybe one of the things that I never had was uh, mentors. And and who knows? I mean, it may not have been possible. I mean, I was always a really precocious kid and moving too fast. I, I remember um, informally being diagnosed with hyperactivity, but, you know, later them saying, no, that's just he's energetic and, you know, active. And I think that makes me quite a handful and maybe not the best student. Sometimes I have to just go out there and jump in the deep end and, and figure out how to swim on my own. So I don't know whether it's possible, but I would recommend that, you know, people uh, keep an eye out for folks that would take an interest in their future who have experience that you might be able to avoid some of the mistakes that I've made in my life. Now, they weren't deadly. I'm still here, right? Um, you know, the you can save a lot of time. I saw a lot of people get to places more easily because they could find that kind of guidance, you know, like a mature person who can, who actually takes an interest in you. It's like a real friend, right? And, um, and I think that's beneficial. I think also I would say that it's very important to understand the difference between your needs and your wants, because uh, covering your needs is really quite easy. You know, it's a food, water, you know, shelter, clothing, <laughs> uh, yeah. love, connection, whatever. Um, and to realize that, you know, everything in excess of that is an opportunity for joy. And if you don't get addicted to a want, you can get off the treadmill as early as possible and start following your passions, right? For me, I was killing myself in Silicon Valley until I finally re retired, right? Because, you know, the material, I was on the materialistic thing too. I had a beautiful house and, you know, a nice car and you're basically, you have to work in order to support that stuff. Now, fortunately it was stuff that I liked. Uh, so it wasn't torture, but it was more stressful than it needed to be. And I didn't really need any of that stuff. And so, you know, I could have had even more opportunities to just follow my passion. So I would say that this is a, a good lesson that I learned in life which is that, uh, number one, recognize the difference between your needs and wants. It's okay to go for everything. Go for it, right? But stay happy because you know that everything that's in excess of your needs is your opportunity for joy, right? Appreciate what you have. If you're getting some of your wants, at least get some happiness out of that. At least get some joy out of that. Some Have some gratitude. You know, I find a lot of people who are religious. I'm not religious myself, but, you know, the act of sitting down and thanking, you know, a power for all the good things in your life is actually an inventory of those good, good things in your life. And it makes happier people. If you realize hmm, we shouldn't feel that it, we're entitled to all that stuff and that, and we shouldn't take that stuff for granted. We should enjoy it, right? There's actually a lot of good things going on in life. So that's sort of the first thing. And then the second thing is to remember that the most important thing in the world is learning. That your best survival tool is your mind. And that the world is changing so quickly that you need to be able to 
adapt quickly with it. And your mind is going to allow you to do that. And so, you know, you need to learn how to learn and then you need to keep learning. It's the flexibility of your mind and your ability to sort of embrace new technologies and things like that, that will allow you to keep up with something that is in light speed right now. And that is leaving a lot of less motivated people behind. One of the reasons that we have you know, a lot of issues in the world today is because a lot of folks are just not prepared to keep up with science and technology and whatever. They've lost their ability to you know, tell a fact from a non-fact and to put logic together and know who to believe as opposed to just doing that from a gut perspective, right? right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, but even if other people go that direction, if you've developed a good mind, you'll see the patterns in the world and you'll be able to stay just ahead of it. And, you know, you can have a good life. It is a good life. So that would be the other thing, you know, that uh, I would advise my young self, but I did that, you know, I was always a curious person. So, yeah. Definitely. Well, I love the pivot you made there from computers to the biology and, and tying that together the analogy you gave at the beginning. It's always fascinating to me. I've been in life sciences for a long time and, and, you know, I'm a QA professional. And so sometimes I have a hard time explaining to people what I do. And so I'm always trying to come up with different ways to explain things. And of course, as we went through the pandemic, um, I feel like the whole world all of a sudden is aware of things like drug development. How does this actually work? You know, the ongoing, I'm not even going to, go to the debate on vaccines, but there at the end, as you're saying that with, you know, keep learning and keep an open mind to these things and continue to, to kind of keep track of it. That's yeah, that really ties it all together. That's important. There is so much joy to be had and the learning continuing to learn. The value is it's all, it's, it's awesome. (laughs) It's great. Thank you. That's so, (laughs) so nice of you to say. And, and yeah, I think that your, your best security is yourself right? And, and it's great to have friends and it's great to have family and, and, you know, all those things are great support systems, right? But, you know, it is your skill set that you accrue over life that allows you to have control of your life and to turn your life into what you want, what you design, what you, you know, so all of this thinking that you do about life, all of this learning that you do, it's not a chore. It's really, you know, it's an opportunity. It is a, you know, sort of a, a, a font of something really, really valuable that just keeps enhancing your personal value. That means that, you know, there's so many jobs and that you'd be critical at that other people can't do. And, and therefore you are always employable when some people fall behind and aren't employable. But also it's a, all of that stuff is what allows you to design your future and have some modicum of control over it. You're an active participant. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You're not just get swept along. Exactly. Yeah. I said so many people aren't active participants in their own lives. And and so, yeah, that's. And it is possible. And that's the key as a young person, you should, that's the one takeaway that would really be valuable here is that, yeah, if you learn how to learn, right. And we make you learn everything, right. Why do we make you take social studies and science and math and, you know, and English <laughs> and French and, you know, and music and gym? Okay. Yeah. Because it's like circuit training for your brain, right? Yeah. 
you know, what you're preparing for is the decathlon of life. You don't know what event you're going to be in. You've just got to have an athletic mind. And that's what's going to be adaptable because they're going to invent new Olympic games in the game of, you know, the Olympics of life, right? (laughs) The real Olympics. Indeed. (laughs) And, And if you've got a really athletic mind, and I don't mean, you know, full of muscle, I mean, you know, that is flexible, that is strong, that can learn new moves quickly, you know, that can pick up on stuff. Well, uh, guess what? You know, you're going to be taking home the prizes. Now in school, the best prize you can get is an A, right? (laughs) Right. But in life, you can decide what games you participate in based on the prizes that you want. Do you want more time off? Do you want more money? Do you want more freedom? Do you want more uh, power? Do you want more respect? These are the prizes in life. And I hope what everybody wants is more happiness. That all of those other yes. things are just about, okay, well, what satisfies you? What's fulfilling to you? And you can yeah. grab hold of that and, and you can maximize your chances of getting there. And by the way, once you recognize that your needs are at this really low level, you'll be amazed. It doesn't matter how far you get. You'll feel a, a ton of joy because of that gap between where you got to and the absolute baseline that was survival. And, uh, you know, feel really happy and good. I love it. I love it. Well, where can people go to connect with you and follow along with the journey there with AGT? AmericanGene.com. Of course, Gene is spelled G-E-N-E, all one word. And uh, I would love it if people went by the website and uh, there is a newsletter you can sign up for if you want to kind of stay in touch that way. There is all sorts of social media and we're constantly putting things out there. And yeah, I'd love it if folks would connect with us. Excellent. We'll do that. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jeff. This has been a really fun conversation. Uh, It was fun for me too. And thank you so much for having me. listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.